Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where the mission is to help young men develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. Today, we have on another special guest. His name is Alan Lazarus. He is a podcaster, speaker, as well as a business coach and consultant. Thank you for coming to the show, Alan. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Improvement. Uh, focusing on character and identity, I think, is something that you had said in the intro. Yes. Um, I focus on my character every single day. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Hey, man, it's good to hear. I'm excited as well. And so just to give the listeners a little bit of background information about you, for those that might not be familiar with your content and what you do, could you give us a little bit more info? Yeah. So um, there's a short and a long form of this. And I think the first thing to say here is, so I'm 32 years old and and it's really difficult to unpack 32 years in, in one little intro, but I will, I'll try to give you the shortened version. All right. So I'm two years old and my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28 years old. So I started my life in, in quite a bit of adversity. And, um, it's interesting because normal was, was not a thing for me right out of the gate. And so, but I, what I do say is that, uh, I was raised by two women. So I had an older sister, she was three years older than me and I had a mom, um, and I actually had a stepdad from ages two to 14. That's, that's kind of a whole nother story. But basically, when I was seven years old, my mom taught me the best lesson I've ever gotten. And as I get older and older and older, and hopefully wiser and wiser and wiser, I realized that this lesson is still the most important lesson of my life. And it's very simple. She said, Alan, you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer. I'm going to love you either way. But if you're a CEO, you can wake up one day and decide to be a farmer. So make sure you aim high because it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. And so what she said is aim high and you'll have choices. Life is about choices. And that's the real lesson. Life is about choices. Not just what you say, but also what you don't say. Not just what you do, but also what you don't do. Not just who you spend time with, but more particularly who you choose not to spend time with, what you say, think, do, feel, believe, all of that is a choice. And so she taught me that from a very young age, and I'm still learning that lesson over and over and over again. And so I'm seven, she teaches me that. And she said, aim high. And I did. I focused on academics. My mom um, was the third child and the next closest child to her was 17 years older. So she was kind of the last child. They weren't her, my grandparents. Uh, we're not expecting to have my mother. And she was uh, a beautiful young girl. So she figured that uh, they figured rather that she didn't really have to focus on academics because she'd get married and start a family. But when my father passed away, she didn't feel like she had a lot of choices. And she wished she had focused more on academics. So naturally, she taught me academics are the way. So I get like straight A's, a couple B's, and she actually does something really unique, which in hindsight was really powerful. I'm in eighth grade which is like the tail end of middle school. And she says, Alan, I'm going to take a chance on you. I'm going to let you take eighth grade off. Now, legally, I still have to go to school. So I still go to school. But like, you don't have to try, basically, is what she said. As long as you promise me that you'll get the president's award in high school. I still have a plaque uh, signed by George Bush. And basically, what the president's award was, was a 95 out of 100 GPA or higher for all report cards all through high school. So there was four report cards a year, four years, so 16 report cards straight. I got a 95 or above. I only got one B plus in all of high school. It was in honors English, and I never took honors English again. Um, but basically, I was a big math guy, and I did. I got straight A's. 
But if you look at my academic career, that eighth grade, man, C's and D's, and maybe a few B's, hardly any A's. And so she really did. She was trusting me to really follow through on that. And I did. I, I, I crushed it in high school. Now, the part of the story I haven't told you yet is that when I was like 10 or 11 years old, we're driving past my alma mater, which has become my alma mater. It's WPI, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. This is the, the college that I went to. And at the time, my uncle Merle was the track and field coach there. So as a matter of fact, my uncle Merle has since passed away. They actually named the track after him, Norcross Field, Norcross Track. And, but I'm a young boy, I'm 10 or 11. And my mom said, Alan, you're really good at math. People who are really good at math go to the school and people who go to the school do really well. They become engineers and they have choices. And so, and engineers make a lot of money. That's another thing that she said. So for those of you who don't know WPI, it's kind of like known as a mini MIT. It's like one of the top technical institutions really on the planet it is. And um, so I do well in high school. I apply, I get in, I do electrical and computer engineering there. And fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. So I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. And I remember I, for the very first time, I heard the 2005 Stanford address by Steve Jobs. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically I was in economics class at the time. And I remember watching the speech and I literally was so inspired that I got up out of class and I like left. After that, I started a little company called Campus Libre with my college roommates. I went and I job hopped a little bit. So I did internships and such. So I worked for a company called iRobot. I worked for a company called um, Tyco Safety Products. And Lens, no, not Lens Americas. That was a different company that I'd worked for previously. That was another internship. But there was a company that I worked at that I didn't like. Oh, Tyco Safety Products. I was designing circuits behind a desk. And I kind of realized very quickly, I love people. I should have realized that earlier, to be honest with you. Um, and I love communicating with people. I'm good at communicating with people. And I realized I didn't want to sit behind a desk and be an engineer. And so I went back to school and, and I actually, Steve Jobs was my hero back then. And this was right around when Walter Isaacson had written the book, Steve Jobs and the biography. And I remember I wanted to be a fortune 50 CEO. My mom, again, aim high, aim high, fortune 50 CEO. That was my dream. And so I looked it up and I asked a few mentors and I looked it up and apparently like 60 plus percent of the fortune 50 CEOs in America had an engineering undergrad degree with an MBA combination, master's in business administration. So what did I do? I went back to school. I went back for my MBA at WPI. And then I went back into corporate America and, and I did more. Uh, so I did, I worked as a global product manager for a company called Sensata Technologies, also known as Texas Instruments. It used to be known as that. Uh, a couple other companies. And then eventually I landed a company called Cognex and I started an inside sales team there. They, they sell industrial automation equipment. I start an inside sales team there. I get promoted to outside sales. Now, here's where the, the tail end of the story really happens in my transformation, where I'm managing Vermont, Western Massachusetts, and um, Connecticut. Connecticut. I was driving all in, up and down Western New England. I'm young. At this point, I'm making well over six figures, um, almost to 200,000. And I wasn't working. I was up in New Hampshire with my little cousin. I wasn't working. We were playing Call of Duty. And then we went to TGI Fridays and I don't know the area well. It's, it's 2016 and it was one of those really terrible winters in New England where the, the snow banks were literally covering the signs. <clears throat> so there was a yield sign that I didn't see. 
I'm looking down at the GPS. It's this weird intersection, dark, cold winter night. And I thought the road stayed right. It actually goes left. I end up on the wrong side of the road. And I remember looking up from the GPS and I saw the, this bright, bright, the brightest lights I'd ever seen. And I thought it was a Mack truck. Actually, it actually ended up being a lift kitted truck um, in New Hampshire, regular pickup truck. But in that moment, I thought like, this is the end. Like there was no question in my mind, like no way we survived this. Like, this is it. This is it. And for those of you who have never had a life or death situation, it's like inexplicable, but basically it's the fastest moment of your life, but it's also the slowest moment simultaneously. It's crazy. But fortunately I'm driving a 2004 Volkswagen Passat. I was in a lot of debt outside of college and I wanted to get out of debt. So I bought an older car for like five grand cash. I just bought the old car, paid off 84 grand worth of debt um, in one year. But I, I had that car and I used to call it a steel trap, a steel trap. It was like a tank. I used to call it the tank. <laughs> um, it was a German engineered car, super heavy Passat, like a really nice, well-built car. Fortunately, the airbags did deploy. My cousin uh, hurt his knee on the airbag. I hurt my face in the airbag, but <clears throat> we were both okay. Now, in my speeches, I show the car. And the reason I show the car is because this was not a fender bender, man. This was like, this car was absolutely totaled. And I've seen the pictures of my father's car. Now, circle back. I'm two years old, and my father passes away in a car accident when he was 28. So I'm 26 at the time, and this absolutely shook my snow globe. I mean, this, I was sitting in an armchair drinking whiskey, questioning my entire life, like big time. This was not, this was like a, just filled with regret and guilt and shame and, and, and not knowing what to think. Because my dad never had his second chance. And for me, I didn't realize it at the time because it was just a lot of pain and a lot of feedback and a lot of like, like I said, guilt and shame and regret really. And now I realize it was my second chance. So I live by this quote now. And I say this in my speeches. I say this, you cannot see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which you simply could not within the light. When you're in the dark, emotional pain is the dark, spiritual pain, mental pain. When you're in the dark, if you can sit with it and contemplate, see, when we succeed, we celebrate. When we fail, when bad things happen, we contemplate. What happened? What could I have done differently? Did I live a life true to myself? That kind of stuff. So there was two stars that I saw in the dark, two in particular. There was a lot, but two that really, in hindsight, changed my life. The first one was Tony Robbins' TED Talk. And if you haven't seen it and you're listening, highly recommend it. It's unbelievable. Best TED Talk, in my opinion. Super well done. Regardless of what you think of Tony, I absolutely adore his TED Talk. Number two, a woman named Bronnie Ware wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Now, of course, I noticed that book. And it's interesting. I would never have noticed that book before I almost died. Okay. I've since interviewed her, which was so awesome, woman from Australia. But basically, she worked in hospice, which is with the terminally ill for eight years. And she thought her job was to take care of them at the end of their life, when in reality, her real calling was to listen to them. And she heard, I wish, I wish, I wish. She heard so much regret over and over and over again. And she started to notice these common patterns. All these different people, they all had all these different dynamic lives yet they all have the exact same regrets. Interesting. So ever since that moment, I read that book, I have a flashcard in my pocket. I'll be honest with you. It's actually over there with my keys and my wallet and stuff. 
Um, but I carry a flashcard in my pocket at all times with the top five regrets of the dying. The number one regret of the dying, this is the big one. I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. That's the big one. That's the one that gave me tons of regret when I had almost died in that car accident. Because I had heard stories about my dad my entire life. Literally, I look just like him. My mannerisms are like him. My father's side always talks about him. But no one ever talked about how he died. I'm the only one who talks about how he died. They all talk about how he lived, lived, how he chose to live, more importantly. And I just realized that that's what's going to matter. How you die or when you die isn't going to matter. How you chose to live is. And after that, man, I went all in on my dreams. I went all in on personal development. At this point, that's an understatement. I mean, I just, I did. more Mortality motivation. I went all in on my calling. And I eventually quit that job. I, I started my own company. And here I am, you know, 715 episodes of the podcast later, all in on holistic self-improvement with a global podcast, hundreds of thousands of listens, changing people's lives, coach, consultant, speaker, podcaster, all that. And it's all because I had a second chance to really turn it all around. Um, and that's not to say that I was a bad person before or anything like that. I just, I was on more autopilot than after the fact. And now I'm off autopilot and I'm really uh, living very, very intentionally. Wow. Well, first I'd like to say thank you for sharing your story. Uh, just from what I've heard, it's very inspiring. And one thing I'll say about it too, is that really the, the irony of it, that that would happen to you as well, to where you got into a wreck, except you got that second chance. It's just amazing to hear how you were able to turn it around and then how it really changed the trajectory of your life. The first thing I like to say about the beginning of it, when you mentioned your mother is that I just wanted to point this out. that I think it's great that she preached a message of accountability to you when it came to organizing your life and being the person that could make anything you want to happen, happen for you. I think that's a great thing because I know that a lot of people that come from backgrounds that may not be ideal where you have a single parent or such might not get advice like that. And just getting that small piece of advice, as you can see, it kind of reshaped the way that you approach life. And then something else I also like to bring up that I think is great is that despite the fact that you went to school for all that time, you're still willing to be authentic to yourself by doing what fault, what was along your path. You could have still went the route of being like a, a corporate CEO working for someone else's company. But the thing that's interesting to me is that you had the courage to live authentically to yourself and move on from that. And still, I guess, a CEO, a founder, but of your own company and everything now doing your own thing. And so I think that's great. And it's really interesting that you brought that up about how the biggest regret people had was not living a life authentic to themselves, because I actually touched on that in a similar episode. Uh, it's called live like you're dying. I'm pretty sure that's the episode where I mentioned it, but it talks about how the same thing, how people lay on their deathbed and that's their biggest regret, not living authentically to themselves. And it's really kind of crazy to think about because we all get one life. And so you would think, well, at least common sense would tell you that everyone would consider that and they would do what they want to do. But so few people actually do what they want to do. People do what they think is reasonable. People do what they think is quote unquote right, but really just convenient or will stop them from getting embarrassed. And so one thing I wanted to say is that I definitely respect that, that despite all the challenges that you had in life, you were able to take that leap to be authentic to yourself. And then also that you're able to turn that negative into a positive and have it as a strong motivator to push you to where you are today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And um, 
yeah, I do think that because of fear or comfort or, or limiting beliefs or upbringing or environment, or, uh, you know, I used to say you're, we're born limitless, but we're taught to be limited. And, um, one little quick story that I'll share with you as well. I remember when I first started my company, Alan Lazarus LLC way back in the day, um, after my car accident though. So this is the first like transition after the, after I left corporate and there was this, uh, woman, uh, friend of mine, her name was, uh, Sharice, uh, Shanice, Shanice, not Sharice. And she was actually dating my college roommate at the time. And, and as I started to progress and, and really grow, she said, don't forget about the little people. And I literally stopped her. It was on Snapchat. So I didn't stop her. I, I texted her back, messaged her back. And I said, there are no little people. There are only people who have been convinced that they're little. So they stay small. You know, it's like, don't forget about the little people. I know what she meant. She was being playful. When, you know, when you go chase fame and fortune or whatever your dreams, but like, there are no little people. There are only the people that got convinced that they were little and it's unconditioning that it's unlearning that it's, it's born limitless taught to be limited. You know, no, none of us know our full potential, you know, um, but I want to find out. And I think that that's probably what you were alluding to there. And I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. But again, that, that, that car accident was really hard for me. And I, I, you know, PTSD is definitely a real thing, but what we don't talk about enough, I think is post-traumatic growth. I mean, double yellow lines scared me for a long time. I kept getting pulled over because I was too far on the right side of the road. Like I definitely, I got claustrophobic. Like I had to work through some trauma for sure. And I don't want to um, lessen that because I did have to work through some trauma after that car accident. But in terms of the personal growth, character focus, integrity over everything, authenticity, chasing my calling, not what other people expect of me. Yeah. I definitely went all in on that. So. All right. All right. And yet it's, it's great that you had that conversation with her because like you said, it's something that I think a lot of people fall into is not thinking that success is for them. But honestly, if you look at a lot of stories of the people that we respect most that are the most successful, not all of them, you know, unless they're like a Elon Musk or like a Jeff Bezos or something or Mark Zuckerberg, not all of them were geniuses. A lot of them were first generation rich people, some of them immigrants, some of them average intelligence and all that, but it was really just taking advantage of those opportunities that other people don't think are for them and just being the only one to do it. And so that's something that I think should be added to that. And then the other thing that you mentioned, I thought this was interesting too, when you talked about uh, having the, the wreck and everything and going through the therapy and how it changed your life, something that I think a lot of people struggle with when it comes to finding the motivation to finally take that jump and do what they want to do. It's a lot of people don't have that catalyst. Like you mentioned in a way, having that, that uh, situation happen where you got into the wreck, that was kind of a catalyst for you to jump into find You found like your purpose from that and changed your life around completely. And something that has come up with a lot of the people that I've talked to where I don't do like actual like professional coaching or anything, but just friends and other people that might ask for advice. A lot of them, it seems as though either they can't think of or they never really had a catalyst uh, like that in their life that really sparked them to make some sort of change or was traumatic enough to give them a purpose to work towards. And so I guess, what are your thoughts on that? What would your advice be or what are your opinions on that type of thing for someone that might be struggling with that? 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that question because it, it is interesting because I always ask myself, it's interesting too, because my business partner, Kevin, like he had a suicidal moment that really tra- turned everything around for him. And when you do study people, um, I'm about to surpass my 1000th coaching call with, with clients all over the world. And I don't say that to brag. Why I say that is that I have a lot of data. I have a lot of data of a lot of different walks of life from different parts of the world, literally Australia, the UK, Italy, all that. And it's like, you start to notice patterns. Um, I was talking to someone from South Africa, literally last week, his name's Warren. He's a listener of our show. And you just notice these common patterns of like, oh, okay. So the people that are really into self-improvement typically had some form of a catalyst, like you said, some form of a rock bottom moment where they finally just said, okay, this, this is not working. I'm going to actually be authentic with myself. I'm going to be real with myself. I think there's a, um, there's a cognitive dissonance. There's a, there's a disconnect between the story we tell ourselves about ourselves and what's real. Have, and, and this is just to make it tangible. Have you ever met someone who thinks they're an athlete, but is now like really out of shape? And do you mean like guys that were athletes in high school and oh, kind yeah. of carry yeah. that identity with them afterwards? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what happens when you have a life or death situation is that that cognitive dissonance, that fake, that fake story, that identity gets stripped away. What you think you are is different than what you really are. And to be honest, personal development, in my opinion, is, is getting those two things as close as possible. I have some clients that think they suck and they're actually pretty great. I have some people, not clients, because I wouldn't work with people like this, who think the world of themselves, but honestly, they're pretty terrible. They're not even really good people in many regards. You know, they have very little virtue. And again, I'm not here to judge everybody, but the truth of the matter is virtue and vice are, are kind of universal, right? Compassion is a virtue. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what race. I don't care. Compassion's a virtue. You know, greed is a vice. Always has been, always will be, right? Gluttony, all that kind of stuff. And so you have these people that are really gluttonous or they're, or they're not really making positive choices. They drink, they smoke cigarettes, they, they, but yet they still think they're an athlete. They still act like an athlete and they keep talking about the glory days of when they were awesome at football in high school, right? That's cognitive dissonance. And so to bring it back to your original question, when you reach a life or death situation and you do hit your own rock bottom, it strips that shit away. Pardon my French. I'm sorry. I was supposed to not swear. I apologize. <laughs> we can edit that out. We can edit that out. All right. Um, I'll do better. But it strips all that away. And you finally get humbled. And then you can build from that, that actual real foundation. Because if you think you're playing way up here at a level 10, when really you're playing at a level two, that your, your ego won't let you work on yourself. If you think you're already there, you're not going to put in the work. The same is true if you think you'll never get there. So our mind wants to protect itself from pain. And so to answer your original question, if you haven't had that catalyst, what you can do if you want to be proactive is you can, you can start feeling the pain. You can start feeling the discomfort. I'll give everyone a tangible example. 
So my girlfriend and I just, just purchased an amazing new home and we moved in together. It's unbelievable. And in our bedroom, we have this skylight, big high ceilings and skylight. And she put this huge mirror, huge full-size mirror every single day when I'm home. Anyways, I, when I get out of the shower, I, I stand in the mirror completely naked by myself. And I just take a look, I take a look and I call this the naked truth. The naked truth, you can call it the uncomfortable truth. You can call it the brutal truth. You can call it the naked truth. You can call it just the truth. The truth is there. There's no nice clothes. There's no fitted clothes. There's no filters on Instagram. This is just the truth. And this isn't good lighting. This is above sun lighting, right? You know, it's like everyone thinks they're in shape until they go to the beach and they're like, oh, shoot, right? Okay, so this is a metaphor. This is a metaphor for anyone who wants to be proactive in their own personal development who hasn't had a car accident. The car accident just brought me to my truth. I knew deep, deep, deep down that I was making not the best choices. I knew deep, deep, deep down that I was living a life not true to myself. I knew deep, deep, deep down that I had more vices than I, than I cared to admit. I knew deep, deep, deep down that my ego was telling myself a story that I was better than I really was. But the car accident brought me to the, the, the naked truth. And so if you want to live in the naked truth, you have to seek it. I didn't seek it. I, I should have sought it more. I wish I had sought it more. Now I seek it all the time. I mean, even that's just one example. I'm, I'm always asking for feedback. I mean, right after we get off a podcast, Kevin, any constructive feedback, right? So last thing I'll say to answer this question, long-winded answer, Netflix doesn't provide any feedback. That's why everybody has Netflix. You can sit there and you can eat whatever you want and you can simulate the emotions and the experiences of other people without any actual danger, without any actual reflection on self. But if you have a goal or a dream and you start chasing it, you want to start a podcast. Oh my God, you know this. The feedback Ooh. is brutal. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal. I was terrible at this for the first hundred episodes. Um, and if you even think I'm reasonably good now, it's because we're 715 episodes in and I've been on over 800 shows, right? That'll so do it, you know? yeah, that'll, that'll do it. Right. But that's 800 painful moments of afterwards going, wow, I, did I say that? You know, was that good? I said, um, too much. Right. We used to have an um jar where we put a dollar in the jar. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, man, that's, that's what I would say is proactively seek the, the feedback, proactively seek the discomfort and proactively seek the pain. What's your relationship to pain? What's your relationship to discomfort? You know, you want to be in shape, but you don't like painful workouts. It's you're going to spin your wheels the rest of your life. Hey, I agree. Actually, uh, what you say pretty much aligns with kind of the same stance that I take on that. And I'll say that that's where most of my growth came from and how I was able to beat down a good portion of my ego, at least in in the areas that I'm working in now, because I'll say that I didn't really learn much about myself until I went into those different challenges that really uh, showed me, or I guess you could say broke down what my actual weaknesses were. I mean, you can think you're as charismatic as you want to think, or that you're good with people, but if you really want to test it, start a podcast. Like you're saying, yeah. you'll definitely find <laughs> out if you, if you think you're fit. Uh, I thought I was fit until I went to college. So I went to Texas A&M and I joined the Corps of Cadets there. It's a, it's a military organization that's on campus. I thought I was fit. When you get in there and you're running at six o'clock in the morning, every morning you're doing push-ups until you can't anymore, that sort of thing. Then you really find out, I thought I was tough. You get into something like that and it really shows you what your mental toughness is. And I'll say all the experiences that I had like that 
it came from me actually putting myself in a spot where I could be challenged instead of a spot where it could reaffirm my ego, you could say. And so I, I definitely agree. I appreciate that. Uh, you just reminded me of something my girlfriend said to me once that I think will land for your listeners because this is important. Um, I remember somebody said, it's unbelievable how humble you are. And I talked to her about that. And I was like, it's interesting that that was said to me because I've never really considered myself that humble. And she said, Alan, that's exactly what a humble person would say. You know, if, if you were like, oh my God, yes, I'm so humble. Right. Then obviously you're not right. So it's just fascinating. It's like that ego, ego is the enemy. Um, that's a great book by Ryan holiday, but more importantly than the book, Ego is what you think about yourself, which is not always what's true. And if you can't make good decisions based on false data, so, so like you've done, and I can tell, I can tell the amount of work you've done on yourself. You know, like you said, like you think you're fit. It's like, okay, a six minute mile is really good compared to who though. Right. You want to get average people. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's important to understand, like we call it drive to five. So on the 10 end, zero to 10, 10s are the people who like are what I call inwardly arrogant. They, they, they don't think they need a mentor. The zeros, they don't, they don't think they deserve one. They're too scared to even get one. So you've got the puffer fish and the turtle shell, and both are defense mechanisms, right? The puffer fish thinks they're great already, so they don't have to try and fail. And the turtle shell is so afraid they they will fail. They convince themselves they can't succeed so that they don't even have to try. Both are pain avoidance mechanisms that the brain makes up. And so the people on this end who don't believe they deserve a mentor, they're too scared to get one, need to have courage and confidence. The people over here on the 10 end that think they don't need a mentor, like they need to get humbled. They need to be challenged, right? You can be the best in the room, but that's not really going to help you grow. And so we call it drive to five on our show is like, are you centered? Are you confident, but also humble? You believe in yourself, but you also realize you don't know everything, but you do know what you know, right? I don't know anything about cooking. I don't know anything about cars. Like I'm not that great at like golf, but when it comes to coaching and consulting, understanding the human condition, identity, physiology, mind, body, heart, and soul, I, that is my genius zone. I mean, world-class genuinely, but I'll tell you what I suck at. Right. And so I think a lot of people want to believe something about themselves. They either want to believe they're terrible at everything. So they don't have to try. They want to believe they can't get better. So they don't have to try, or they believe they're great already, or they're telling a story of how they used to be great. So they don't have to try because no one wants, like you said, wants to be embarrassed or the truth hurts a lot of the time it does, you know, it, it sucks. Um, but you can spend your life either seeking truth or avoiding it. But I can tell you in the long run, if you're a truth seeker, things will work out far better. I agree. I think, I think that's solid advice. Uh, the people that I've heard someone call ego, your social identity, the people that try and pr protect their social identity, those tend to be the ones that remain stagnant. But if you're someone that is a truth seeker, like you say, where, you know, no matter the cost, you know, to your ego or how you feel about yourself, you want to find out what the facts are, what the truth is. Those tend to be the people, at least, you know, if they can take it and apply it and do something with it or the ones that are able to get ahead in life. And just from you saying the drive to five thing, it made me curious before you got on your self-development journey, where would you say that you were on the scale? I was on the higher end. I was on the higher end of 
I, I had it in, so, um, I believe that arrogance, my definition of arrogance is one's belief in their own ability far beyond their current competency. And so, um, overconfidence is another way to put that overconfidence. And you know, what I figured out is that I do have a lot of self-belief genuinely, um, from a sincere place. When you have a lot of self-belief and you're, uh, here's the, it's big fish, small pond, big fish, small pond. Like you just, you don't really have an understanding. Like, yeah, you're really smart, but like, will Elon think that Elon Musk, right? It's like, uh, and here's a good example. I was, you know, top of my class in high school, but then when I went to WPI, which is one of the top technical institutions in the world, I got very humbled. I was like, oh, I'm not that smart. Right? Because everybody uh, was because I guess, the smartest person in their class that went there, right? Exactly. And so that's the key is if you have, it's it's called a challenge skills sweet spot. We interviewed a man, my, Stephen Kotler. Uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Impossible, which we're actually um, reading in book club. But he calls it a challenge skills sweet spot. And when you're going to the gym, everybody kind of inherently knows this. It's like, if you're brand new to the gym, you don't try to squat 500 pounds. You're going to break your legs, Right. But if you start off small with the bar, then you can improve over time. So challenge skills, sweet spot. I was on the farther end of drive to five, where I was probably kidding myself subconsciously of like, you're not actually as good as you, as you pretend to be. My ego is trying to protect me from the truth. And the car accident gave me all the truth at once. And that's why it was so dramatic. Yeah, that's great. And I appreciate you kind of sharing this story and breaking it down like that. And so I know one thing that we kind of touched on when we were getting acquainted and something that you talk about in your content is aligning your values. I, I'm trying to think of how you, how you put it, if I remember correctly, aligning your aspirations to your values. So can you talk about that and the significance of it? Yeah. So we just got off a group coaching call actually before this uh, team of 11 people and we did it. It was on uh, reverse engineering the finish line is what we called it, but it's core aspirations, core values, core beliefs. So from zero to 10, all your listeners, um, ask yourself from zero to 10, how fulfilled are you? And this will make sense in a second. If you said six, one of my clients earlier said six, I said, okay, I believe that fulfillment is the soul's recognition of alignment with its highest self. So that means that you're aligned with your core aspirations, core values, and core beliefs. You're aligned at a level six. If you want more fulfillment, not pleasure, not pleasure, fulfillment, then you're going to have to figure out where you're misaligned. So for example, if you tell yourself the story, if you have a core aspiration to be fit, strong, and healthy, and yet you're smoking cigarettes, you're, of course, you're going to take a self-esteem hit. Right. Right. And, and, and you're outside of alignment. And so you're going to be unfulfilled after you smoke cigarettes, even though it's pleasurable, quote unquote. See, we got this confused. Fulfillment is what you optimize for, not pleasure. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask if you could kind of explain what the difference is for people that they might not be familiar with this type of topic in the personal development community. I'm glad that you said that. Absolutely. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity because this is, uh, there's a lot of things I talk about that a lot of people want to hear about, but um, this is what I really want to talk about because I think it's more important than like business success and all that. Um, the fulfillment thing. Right. So I call it the happiness framework. I think I'm going to start calling it the happiness formula. Um, but I think that we were all subconsciously lied to and I'll explain. Um, I usually tell this story of the John Lennon thing. So when you're, everybody's heard that John Lennon quote of like, 
that story of like John Lennon, there was an assignment by the teacher who said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And John Lennon said, happy. And the teacher said, you don't understand the assignment. And he said, no, you don't understand life. Now, while I love that story because life is about quote unquote happiness, right? What I don't like is that we were never taught what is happiness really. We certainly weren't taught how to sustain it. And, and that I think if we're all optimizing for happiness, right? The pursuit of happiness and none of us know what it is or how to sustain it, we're kind of playing a losing game a little bit. And so this is what I've got it broken down to. I remember I was like 20 years old. And I told my mom, I'm like, mom, she's like, why do you value intelligence so much? I'm like, mom, I'm trying to figure out the formula to not end up old and miserable like everybody else. <laughs> I, I was young. I was young. But seriously, man, my whole life I've been trying to figure this out. Like I looked around and I was like, I remember everyone told me, Alan, these are the best years of your life. These are the best years of your life. Like all the older people, like, oh, high school, best years of your life. I, I remember thinking to myself, like, no freaking way. Yeah, no I, I never really agreed with that much Dude, either. Like, no, no. My life kind of sucked in high school. Let's be honest. My life's great now, right? It's only gotten better. My life's on the aggregate. Obviously, I have high lo- highs, lows, ebbs, and flows like anyone else, right? Seasons, seasons of life. But like on the aggregate, the trend line is up, way up, right? And I think it's because I've improved. I've improved. so but to answer the original question about the happiness okay so i have something called the happiness formula it's joy half uh no joy pleasure and fulfillment so happiness is actually broken up into joy pleasure and fulfillment at least what we think is happiness okay joy is when you're in the present moment enjoying what you're doing so right now i'm enjoying this conversation with you so i'm in joy enjoy okay that's number one Number two, see, pleasure is result-reliant. If I do well on this episode, then I will get pleasure, a.k.a. dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin, or I will not. If I do poorly, and I swear when you said I shouldn't, I'm going to feel bad about myself, right? So I'm going to get less, less pleasure. See, but fulfillment, and this is the one most people are missing, fulfillment only comes when we are growing to our maximum potential and then using that growth to contribute beyond ourselves. I focus way more on fulfillment and I allow enjoyment and pleasure to come along the way. What I used to do before 26, before I woke up, I used to optimize for pleasure without, without knowing it. I had what um, Stephen Covey refers to as a pleasure-centered paradigm without knowing it. I grew up in a pleasure-centered paradigm. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, drinking. I grew up around a lot of drinking. I grew up around fun, lots of vacations and trips and stuff. And when my stepdad left, we, we went from fairly well off to, to very, very broke to the point where I actually had free lunch at school. Um, 40 cent lunch, not free 40 cent lunch. And fortunately I got financial aid for college, but like, I didn't realize it until later in life, but I, I inherited a pleasure centered paradigm. A lot of people have a pleasure centered paradigm. They think that they think that happiness is pleasure. Like if I eat this donut, I'll be happy. No, you won't. Never. That's never going to work. That's the wrong formula. You have a misunderstanding. You have a misbelief just like I did. So, you know, I had tons of friends, corporate, college, high school, tons of friends. I remember saying I'm going to be end up being in 11 weddings, like in the bridal party or, or a groomsman of 11, 11 weddings. Now I think I might only be in one and I think it'll be Kevin's. And I don't even know if I'm going to be in his because I just... I, I realized that fun wasn't the answer. I used to be the fun one. 
Um, and I did, I had a lot of fun. I got it out of my system. I'll tell you what, but like that, I was never fulfilled. I didn't feel, feel fulfilled. And I know why now I wasn't, I wasn't aligned with my core aspirations, core values, and core beliefs. I was aligned with my aspirations. Okay. I was not aligned with my core values. I didn't even know what they were. Now I have six. Um, and that's on a flashcard in my pocket as well. Um, over there by my wallet and keys, usually in my pocket, but like, I didn't even know what core values were back then really. Um, so hopefully that's valuable for your listeners. Definitely. So I like the way that you broke that down and how you kind of created the, the system with the three different types of happiness. And one comment that I'll make about that is that you mentioned this earlier about how people say these are the best years of your life, the years that we're going through right now while you're still young, I guess you could say. But if anything, you can say it's backwards. And this is, this is why I would say that, because when you look at life from that perspective, in all likelihood, that person is looking at life from the aspect you're talking about where they're joy seeking instead of fulfillment seeking. And due to the fact that they're not living that authentic life, as you get older, you can't really seek joy at the same propensity as you did when you were younger, because when you were younger, you had very little responsibilities. And that's why they probably say that. And so once you become 30, 40, 50, 60, and you have kids and grandkids and all that, that's probably why they say that, because you get less opportunities to, I guess, experience joy, which is the thing that they're looking for. But if you do things the right way, like what you were talking about, where you're looking for fulfillment, life gets better as you become older, it seems like, because as you get older and you're taking those steps to become that better person, you're gaining more and more of that fulfillment because you're seeing those results manifest in whatever it is that you do, especially if you're chasing your purpose. And so I think that's an important point to bring up too. And so I like how you made that point. I think that's definitely something that'd be valuable to the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. And the one thing I would add too is like, if someone is outside of alignment, think about it this way, right? Let's say, let's say you're going from Boston to LA and you're, you know, five degrees off. By the time you get to LA, you're going to be thousands of miles off course, but at the beginning, you won't really know it. Right. And so that lack of fulfillment actually compounds over time. So they end up having to chase pleasure more and more and more to try to fill that void. That's what I've found anyways. And, And that's what a midlife crisis is, you know, Um, and I tell people, have your midlife crisis early. I had mine at 26, you know, like you got to have that thing early. Okay. And then something else that I think is important to kind of bring up in this, since we were touching on values is just how vital it is to make sure that as you're going through the process of pursuing your purpose or whatever it is that you want to do in life, that your values align with that. Because in a way I would say it takes away from the potency of that fulfillment if whatever you achieved wasn't done in alignment with those values. And I feel like you talk about that in your, in your content. Can we kind of elaborate on it from that perspective? Yeah. So basically what's the best way that I can try to explain this? Um, Okay. Imagine you want to, you intend to make a million dollars and you intend to give back to your community that you grew up in with a couple hundred thousand dollars in a deeply meaningful way. Great aspiration. But let's say you make your million or your millions selling cigarettes. See, that's not going to be fulfilling. Even though you're in alignment with your core aspiration, you're against a core value. So it's not going to be fulfilling. So it's important to understand your emotional guidance system, your intuitive guidance system. And you have to listen into it, right? So for example, a lot of people get frustrated in life, right? 
And frustration to me is an emotional signal saying, Alan, you're outside of alignment. You're trying to achieve this goal or this thing or this outcome. And okay. So for example, uh, trying to get to the studio by 11 AM, cause I have an important consulting call. I hit construction and I'm frustrated. Okay. My frustration is basically an indicator, an emotional indicator saying, Alan, you're outside of alignment. You probably should have prepared earlier. You should, should have left earlier. You should. So there's something to learn in that. And is the conversation with yourself like, ah, pissed off, frustrated, angry, or is it interesting? Okay. I'm frustrated. So I'm going to turn this into fascination. And I'm going to say, okay, what am I really frustrated with? Okay. Should I blame traffic or should I blame the roads or should I blame the car, the accident that happened? No, no, no. What I should do is say, okay, Alan, you know, that construction's a thing, you know, that it's summer, you know, that it's new England and there's a lot of potholes to fix. You probably should have left 20 minutes earlier. At the end of the day, you're just upset with yourself because there's a core value that's in conflict. You have a core value of being well-prepared, yet you keep, keep breaking the promise to yourself. So simplest cheat code ever, identify your core values. What are they? I have six and I can share them with you if you'd like. Um, okay. So the first one is personal development, holistic self-improvement. That's number one. Number two is natural health and fitness, natural, meaning no steroids, no synthetic hormones, none of that. Okay. So natural health and fitness, holistic self-improvement. That's one and two. Number three is a big one. Massive dreams, massive, massive dreams, congruent with one's greatest unique level of growth and contribution. Okay. So that's number three. Number four, a giving heart a generous heart. Number five, humility in action. Meaning I don't go around saying how humble I am, but I prove it with my actions, AKA I read books. See, a lot of people are outwardly modest, inwardly arrogant. You know of someone guaranteed. It's like they, they act modest, but yet they think they know everything. Right? right. Yeah. And they don't read books ever. They would never pick up a personal development book. Why do you need that? That's you know, just, just, just do it. Right. Yet they don't do anything. <laughs> it's like wild. Um, so anyways, that's all ego again. And then the last one, a servant's heart. I already said natural health and fitness, holistic self-improvement, massive dreams. Um, why am I blanking on the last one? Humility in action. I said that. I'm totally blanking on the last one. I do not know why. No, it's all good. Probably because of the, it's on a podcast, you know, I'm sure if it were just <laughs> casual conversation, it's something you could, that would pop up. But I know when that pressure is on you, you know, to come up with the stuff in front of people, then that can definitely happen. It was, I was going over mine in my head just in case, like I need to make sure I don't blank on these. Like if I, if I have to say anything, so. All credibility lost. I'll think of it before the end of this show. It'll come up. It'll come up. Uh, it's it's all good. It's all good. Appreciate but you. The something that um I think could offer a lot of value to the listeners is if you can give advice on this. So for the people who want to make changes in their life and want to make sure the actions that they take from here on out are congruent with who they want to be, what is some advice you would give people to form their own core values? Mm. Uh, what breaks your heart? What injustice in the world breaks your heart? Um. And then what pisses you off that will help 
that'll help you identify like why does that piss you off whatever that is for me bullies ooh hate bullies i was bullied a lot as a kid i i didn't hit puberty until very late in high school um and there's some deeper rooted stuff there with my childhood as well but like bullies people who who um suppress others like you tell someone your goals and dreams and they try to make you feel bad like oh mm-hmm. you can never do that like that ooh oh hate people it would have project hey. their their own limitations on you yeah yep um and so if you're out there ask yourself that question what breaks my heart what injustice in the world breaks my heart i'll give you an example i was um my girlfriend growing up as a little kid she always wanted to see the great barrier reef it was like her dream you know and she did it in her early 20s i think she was 24 and she went to the great barrier reef and she learned that it was actually the great barrier graveyard and my girlfriend is super so it's like because of the environment it's like dead great barrier reef is like dead oh really yeah i actually had yeah. no idea no no worries man we're, we're both getting feedback here right now yeah, yeah yeah so so obviously the environment uh we've really done some damaging things to it as humans um, probably because of a lack of holistic understanding, right? Holistic self-improvement, in my opinion. But it it breaks her heart. Like when she sees people not recycle, when she, like it's it's like a, a thing. So if you want to know your core values, you've got to look at where you're frustrated. You've got to look at what pisses you off. You've got to look at what breaks your heart. You've got to look at what makes you cry. You know, good and bad. Um, for me, inspiring movies, like um, movies like... Goodwill hunting make me cry. And so, so things like that, there's a lot to learn in that. And if I'm against suppression, what am I for? Expression. What am I for? Empowering others, right? So, so your calling actually lives in your pain. If you've been really suppressed in your life, your, call, your calling is there. If you, if you love the environment and you've seen it destroyed right before your eyes, like maybe you're supposed to be an environmentalist. You know, you make your, your pain is your calling. Like I used to say this, the dark holes you find yourself in, the tools you must develop to climb out also build skyscrapers. And so for me, ignorance and apathy, you know, either we don't know enough or we don't care enough or some combination of both is the root of all human suffering. I grew up in a lot of ignorance. Ooh, I grew up in a lot of ignorance. I did not have a lot of guidance. And um, I did have that good guidance from my mom, but beyond that, not a ton. I'd never had a really strong male role model. And now I'm a strong male role model. I'm trying to be. We have a charity called the Next Level Hope Foundation where on Father's Day, we host events for kids without fathers. See, that's, that's how they find their core values. Dig into the, the dark stuff and you'll find the light. I appreciate that. I appreciate you being candid your story and kind of telling how that past developed the, the current values that you have now. And I think that's something that a lot of people could utilize that advice you just gave to form their own values. And with that, I think that pretty much wraps up everything. And so for those that want to find you and uh, check out your podcast or any of the stuff that you do, where could they find you? So if anyone's curious about the sixth core value that I could not think of, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you can find me anywhere podcasts are available. Next Level University. The pun is Next Level You. I remember my girlfriend asked me, like, what are you most proud of about the podcast? This was at episode 500. This was a year and a half ago. And um, I remember saying that we have 500 episodes. 
We don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about, you know, tweeted what people tweeted. We don't talk about celebrity gossip. Like we talk about holistic self-improvement, 500 episodes at this point, 715, um, all about health, wealth, and love, holistic self-improvement. Health is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Wealth is how you make your money. Do you love what you do? Um, how much do you make? And is that growing or dying? And then where do you invest it? And then love is like intimate relationships, business partnerships, clients, colleagues, mentors, mentees, family, all of that. And so, you know, in school, we didn't really learn a lot about those things, even though we desperately need to know those things. And so that's what Next Level U is. Next Level U, you're not trying to be better than me. You're not trying to be better than anyone else, but you're trying to be better than you used to be. And uh, so, yeah, anywhere podcasts are found. Very last thing, Instagram. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn. If you Google my name, you will find those. And if you find me on Instagram, uh, DM me and just let me know what resonated. I love, love, love to connect with people. Like I said, I talked to that listener from South Africa last week, and um, I love meeting people from all over the world. So reach out if this resonated. And since we're wrapping up here, I, I do have one last takeaway, if, if that's maybe where you were headed anyway. Sure, go ahead. So I often tell this story because I think, I think it will help this be more than just a podcast. So to circle back to the original lesson of like life is about choices. Um, what you say, think, do, feel, and believe is all on you. And I tell this little story. It's kind of a triggering story for people, but I, I do that on purpose because it's going to actually drive the point home. Get into the emotions. Imagine a hypothetical scenario. Hypothetical. I'm saying that up front. There's a mother in a park with a two-year-old son and she drops the son in the sandbox because she notices an old friend. The son is two and recently learned how to crawl. And you know where this is going. So she's talking to her an old friend. She gets distracted. Two-year-old gate is open. Two-year-old crawls out, crawls into the street, hit by a car and killed. Hypothetical. Okay, hypothetical. Now, you and I could argue for days of whose fault that was, whose responsibility that was. It's like, well, the mother should have been paying more attention. Yes, 100% true. And by, by the way, pretending otherwise is not a good thing, in my opinion. The friend could have been paying more attention, for sure, right? The driver definitely should have been paying more attention, for sure, okay? No one would ever argue, ever, that it was the two-year-old's fault. Why? Simple. The two-year-old was not aware that cars are dangerous. If you're listening to this show right now, this last, I don't know, 50 minutes has raised your awareness in some way. It has. And all I have to say is whether you ever reach out to me or not, whether you ever listen to me again, you now have a raised awareness and you have a responsibility to make new, better choices. Not perfect choices better choices. You have a responsibility to make better choices and, and let us all sweep our own porch and the whole world will be cleaner. Yeah. Thank you for that. And guys, I hope that you take heed of that. Now that you have the knowledge, uh, there really is no excuse not to take responsibility and accountability for the results that you get in life. And so with that being said, thanks again, Alan, I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it too. This was wonderful. Great, great questions. I love digging deep and I uh, hope we stay connected, you and I. Oh yeah, definitely. I'll make sure to already have you on Facebook. So I'll make sure to add you on LinkedIn or, or whatever else too. Perfect. All right, then take care. You as well.